Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Something Came From Baltimore is a jazz, blues, and R&B podcast. And this week, we're talking to the bass player and composer, Bapa Elliott, who is a member of the trio called Mostly Other People Do The Killings. The trio has been labeled as a bebop terrorist band. They are a thinking man's avant-garde and improvisational trio. Mappa Elliott plays bass, Kevin Shea plays drums, and Ron Stabinski plays piano and keyboards. They've been together for 18 years. This outing is called Disasters Volume 1. It was released to the world on February 18, 2022 on the Hot Cup Records. On this outing, Mappa Elliott names each composition after a man-made disaster from the wonderful state of Pennsylvania. Three Mile Island, Johnstown, and Wilkes-Barre are three of the eight tunes on this album. While I'm on the internet checking out the disasters, let's listen to a track from the album. It's called Marcus Hook. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. How are you doing? We got you in the middle of, of one task after another. You're a teacher, right, by day. And, and, I am. And a baby parent by night. So, uh, At least, if, if not more frequently. <laughs> so, so we got you in the middle of one task to another. We want to talk about the new album, uh, that you, oh. the, the Disaster Volume 1. came out February 18, 2022. Mostly other people do the killings, which is one of the best names of a band I could ever think of. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the album cover is also uh, pretty awesome, too. Yeah. Um, the, the guy uh, who did that, the artist is Nathan Karuna, and he's been doing the visual art for our album covers and websites and such for the whole entire time the band has existed since 2003, 2004. So you have yeah. eight, eight takes. Yep. Uh, uh, eight tracks, and they're all based in Pennsylvania for potential disasters or past disasters. I went through Wikipedia. Some of them were real easy to remember, and then some of them were. This was a great concept of, uh, you know, each song for had a, had a town attached to it. In your press packet, there was something really like kind of funny where cool. uh, I guess you had, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Yet a frequent collaborator, Leonard Featherwhite, had penned his notes explaining that each song was identical to the tragedy that kind of existed or it was connected. And right. as it said, true to form, he often deliberately missed the point, yet accidentally revealed important points. So in other words, his thesis was wrong, but you put it in there for him anyways. It's like his thesis <laughs> is, is wrong, but his statements are often accurate. So it's like he's often kind of saying things that are true accidentally. Like yes. he thinks he's talking about one thing and he's wrong, but the thing that he isn't talking about is correct. So it's like, you know, he'll be like, oh, it's, there's this relationship and he's wrong, but that relationship does exist or something uh -huh. like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, he's a fun character. Spell it out for someone else that, that doesn't understand what we're talking about. Well, like what was the connection to, the towns so, so the disasters. Been, yeah, so I've been naming my compositions after towns in Pennsylvania for, you know, 20 years. 
And usually it's just because there's so many uh, kind of crazy, crazy sounding town names in Pennsylvania. There's a lot of good ones, right? Sure. And, I, you know, and I grew up there. Um, but for this one, just kind of like uh, I've been kind of compiling a list of, of towns where there had been disasters just because the the a lot of the disasters that have happened in these places are really interesting metaphors for both larger and smaller things. So taking Dimmick, for example, which we were just talking about, where, you know, the disaster is you're living in a place where an industrial process is ripping apart the rocks miles below your feet and then sending up toxins from like deep, deep underground that were always there. Mm-hmm. Only now they've been released. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, you can go one metaphor there is that's like the dredging up of like, you know, emotional baggage that everybody has, or it's a larger global cautionary tale about, you know, extract dangerous extraction of carbon, you know, carbon based fuels and what it's doing to the planet. You know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Or the Rhodes Opera House, you know, everyone's gathered for this performance and then the performance, you know, lights the place on fire and everyone perishes in this fire and kind of the, you know, yelling fire in a crowded theater and all the, all the stuff that that evokes. Um, just, you know, I started writing these songs in 2018, 2019 before the pandemic, just thinking that I liked the relationship between the, the real world catastrophe and then kind of how it gets talked about or how we would approach it at a distance and what all these metaphors kind of share. And they're all kind of about, and if the album is about anything, it's, it's situations in which most of the time we do things that we should know better. Like don't have a pyrotechnic display at an opera house in 1908. If there's no exits, sure. seems so obvious, but everybody died. Or don't do coal mining under the Susquehanna River. You might blow a hole in the river and flood the mines, which then, of course, happens in a retrospect. It's like, why would you ever do that? But kind of also on like a personal, emotional level, we often, metaphorically and in reality, do things that we either don't think through very clearly or we're impulsive or we actually know it's a bad idea. We do it anyway. And so it's the band is kind of navigating these tunes and performing in a way that always kind of deals with that. Like we're, we're making decisions that may lead to this song falling apart for a second, or they may lead to everything coming together. And we don't always have consensus about which is which. Um, And I thought that all of those things were good metaphors for how the band approaches music all the time, not Mm -hmm. just on this particular record. You are listening to Something Came From Baltimore, and I am your host, Tom Gacker. Today, we are interviewing Mappa Elliott from the jazz trio, Mostly Other People Do the Killings. We are chatting about the latest recording, Disasters Volume 1. Before we get back into the show, remember, Something Came From Baltimore has a Patreon link in the show notes with three levels of support, the podcast, the show, and the full interview. Your support will help keep the lights on. Also, Something Came From Baltimore is a 30-minute show on TheBox.com. More music, more interviews, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Thursday. Check out the station and the show notes. Now let's get back into the interview with Mappa Elliott. 
from mostly other people do the killings. I, I've been listening to this album and I was like, I was really digging it. And then when you listen to it to do the interviews, it was very experimental initially. Okay. And then, then as my multiple listens, I, I don't find it experimental at all. Like it's somehow like the shock value of, of what was going on has decreased to, to zero. And then I'm like, well, yeah, okay. I always say, you know, when you do an avant-garde or improvisational thing, it's a multiple listen. But in this case, it just, now it seems like all your choices are correct as opposed to being unique or accidental or uh, uh, something at the time. Now it all fits in and says, okay, I wouldn't went anywhere else. I went, these are logical decisions. Yeah, I, I think that kind of sums up the way the band tries to operate, essentially, where, you know, we're trying to just make jazz music that is spontaneous, but we're all coming from a, a shared position of these are the general parameters. And, you know, so while on the one hand, anyone in the ensemble is able to kind of veer off and go in their own direction at any time, we all know that that's on the table. And we all know that then the rest of us, if one person does that, the other two people then can make the decision, okay, are we going to go with that person or are we going to go someplace else or stay where we are? Yeah. And one of the guiding principles is that all of us really like when things do come together solidly. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's never a track on the record where we completely ignore what we're doing and it gets very, very free. You know, the band is about playing songs. But it's about playing songs without being tethered to any aspect of the notated music or the convention. But knowing that, like, when it comes right down to it, we're still playing what, you know, we're playing Centralia, the song. Yeah. We might go off on a tangent, but, like, we're still playing this song. But let's get into the album. So the album, again, is called Disasters, Volume 1. It came out February 18, 2022 on the Hot Cup Records. And it's mostly other people do the killings. The, I picked up four tracks. Uh, the first one is Three Mile Island, which is the first track on the album. In my opinion, this is the, the most expressive or improvisational piece. Trying to get your feet wet and, and say, hey, if you're going to listen to this album, you may hear something like this <laughs> in the album. It seems like it, each song seemed to get more and more I guess, uniform one, less uh, improv improvised. I'm a fan versus a musician. So I had it to the mu musicians. They love the lasers. They kept on saying this feels <laughs> very Star Wars to them. And I agreed. Yeah. I said, well, I said, Do, should I ask them about the laser Star Wars vibe? And they said, definitely. They, they want to know what the, the thought process. So that was my impressions of the song. We're going to play a sample of it. If you could tell me a little more and how about the lasers and everything I said? For the lasers, 
Kevin has been playing an electronic drum pad in the band off and on for 15 years. Like in the mid-2000s, he brought it in. It's on a couple of those early records, just not quite as prominently. Anyway, so now he's using a Nord drum pad. And Ron has a Nord, you know, that red Nord keyboard, you know, synthesizer that everybody has. So that gives both of them access to the same bank of synthesizer sounds. And the the lasers have been kind of in the repertoire for over a decade. Kevin's been using laser sounds uh, because, yeah, they, they as we talk about uh, in improvised music, certain sounds have a lot of weight or a lot of gravity where that sound is going to evoke very specific responses in the audience, you know, Star Wars or otherwise. You know, it's like you're not going to hear that sound and have no reaction. And so a lot of the electronic sounds are are just that, that these very easily identified, possibly out of context sounds that then become part of the larger structure. And, you know, in, in that case, there's a lot of experimental music that uses things that are close to that, but like not so obviously, you know, Star Wars sounding laser sounds. And so we just kind of go all the way to the thing. It's like, yes, these are these are laser sounds. Um, but they're also being triggered by a drum pad. And every once in a while, they're part of a drum beat, which yeah. then creates more cognitive dissonance because it's one thing to have laser sounds. Another thing to have laser sounds as part of a drum beat in a drum kit. Um, and it's more of, I think, the goal of all improvised music, you know, all of us who are doing this, is to create new combinations of sounds that you can't get through composition. Like the whole point of improvised music is to set up circumstances where new combinations of sounds will be arrived at that are not achievable any other way. And, uh, you know, the electronics, laser sounds and otherwise, just give us another, you know, huge array of sounds that we can bring into this new context. The, the, the number of reactions that people have is, is kind of unlimited. Mm-hmm. That is the best like uh, definition I think I've ever heard. So you would agree that maybe this was the most experimental uh, on the album? It's def- yeah, you are definitely correct. It is very much an overture. We've been opening most of our albums with a boogaloo uh, as like the Blue Note Records kind of post Lee Morgan sidewinder. That's the thing. So first song is the boogaloo. Uh, but that one is very much an overture because we we decided we were going to we're going to play the song, but we were going to start free and then gradually work our way into the song. And then when we finally play the song, it's over. And so it's kind of like, instead of the traditional jazz head solos head, or kind of the more experimental, there's a there's a written part at the beginning, and then it goes off into free world. We were just doing it backwards, where we're going to start with the free, and then it'll gradually become less and less free, and more and more the song. Wilkes-Barre, or Wilkes-Barre. Depending uh, who you're talking to, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to college at Kutztown, so you know gotcha. there was some, you know the deal. Yeah, yeah. And this one has a, a New Orleans like strut attached to it. It's uh, very jazzy with an awesome drum and bass combination. It's really uh, kind of hot. Very the, the drum and bass. Cool. So 
composition is actually kind of like a, a, a collage of two different songs I was working on, and I realized that they had a lot of things in common, and so I squished them together. Um, and so I, I guess like the, the core is there's this you know drum and bass kind of vamp, you know, ostinato figure that comes back a bunch of times. Um, and then there's a first melodic section, then the vamp happens. Then there's a second melodic section that's more like a blues. Then it goes back to the vamp again. And then it kind of ends in like a, a bluesy place with part of the original melody superimposed on another thing. It's very collage-y. Um, yeah. So it has a lot of sections. And within each one of those sections, all of those same rules and parameters come back in where people can deviate, they can go off on a tangent, and then, you know, it comes back. But that, that of all the tunes on the record, that one is the most thoroughly composed. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pandemic. Yeah. Okay, so that one was, uh, the only notes I have is that at 240, there's a, a amazing drum break, and it's a basically a straight-ahead jazz production. It's very straight-ahead. melody at the beginning, but given that it's a trio, that's not that weird. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of like, at the very top of the tune, the bass has the melody, and then yeah, we kind of play around with the form for a while, and then we go into this back and forth with the drums, uh, and then yeah, it ends with like a kind of Count Basie style halftime walk-up, you know, <laughs> blues to the four chord thing, before going back to the, to the beginning. And that's another one that the form is pretty set in the beginning. We don't we don't deviate a ton, but it's really about kind of it's a it's a drum it's like a Count Basie band kind of drum feature. You know, you do the hits with the band and the drums respond only it's Kevin, so it's not in time and it's probably a bunch of laser sounds. Uh, and then we you know we do like the halftime you know striptease walk up thing, which is one of the things the band likes to do, which is kind of using these like very conventional structures that are really familiar and then deviating from them. So again, we do the big slow build up and then as soon as we get to the downbeat, Kevin switches to the you know laser sounds. Uh and so it it, it kind of lands differently than when the bassy band or like, you know, Buddy Rich does the same trick. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm sure Buddy Rich would kill for some laser sounds. He didn't have them. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you put the accents in that sense. Or maybe where he <laughs> Where he can put a cigarette like holder. Right, exactly. You know? The the most commercial I thought out of all of them was Johnstown, where you know you get some radio play off that one.
a lot of people, you know, my, my partner Diana often says that that's like her favorite favorite track, and, and and that one is one of the, I would say rare, it's one of the rare extended times that the band is kind of almost sentimental, which we usually do every gig, but only for about 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff tends to come and go real fast. And it's not that there's no, you know, sincerity or sentimentality in the music. It's just we very quickly deviate to something else. But the version, you know, we were in the studio during the pandemic and we recorded eh, four or five versions of Johnstown. It's not that long a tune. And the version on the record, um, we were just playing the set straight through and we played Centralia and then kind of like kept going into this weird electronic zone. And then it just kind of morphed into Johnstown. And we just kind of all went with it. And having just done this really energetic thing, we just let that one sit in this really kind of sweet place. Um, which does tie into the kind of like, it's 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 the waltz of quiet resignation. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yep, I, I, I guess this is what's happening. And again, when we play live, that happens in little bits and starts. But I think maybe in the entire recording of the band, you know, history of the band, that's one of the few times that there's an extended piece that sits in that zone the whole time. And that one has some really great electronic sounds that are very haunting. And so it's kind of, it's, you know, it would have some like legitimate street cred as like an electroacoustic piece. Yeah. Because there the relationship between the acoustic instruments and the electric instruments is really blurry. And they're all in the same sonic palette. Uh, and it really, you know, is, you know, an extended single mood as opposed to our usual jump from thing to thing as fast as we can, you know, the circus is in town. Well, but Elliot, thank you very much for joining me today on Something Came From Baltimore. The album is called Disasters Volume 1, came out February 18, 2022. On the Hot Cup Records, the trio that you're talking about is mostly other people do the killings. You're a blast. I knew you would be. Thanks, <laughs> man. Uh, and I can only imagine if your energy level is this high, as opposed to the two guys that you work with, it must be really exciting to see you guys uh, live on stage. It's really exciting. I, I'm the straight man. So, wow. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mappa Elliott from Mostly Other People Do the Killings. The new recording is called Disasters Volume One. Please like, comment, and share this podcast with your music friends. This podcast is a jazz, blues, and RB podcast with variety. The show is over. Everyone have a great day.